So welcome to another episode of The Shredder Show. Uh, absolutely extreme pleasure to have an awesome guest on for everyone to listen to today, who is uh, Miss Rachel Shear. So Rachel, I had the pleasure of listening to give a presentation at a fitness event in Nashville in Tennessee in the US. And her presentation and her talk was like truly mind-blowing in terms of her own personal experience and the like, trials and tribulations she's been through and how now she helps people all over the world help it fix and transform their gut. So Thank you very much for your time, Rachel. I know it's bright and early over in um, California. Yeah, I'm super excited to be here. And thanks for uh, having me on late in the evening for you on a Friday. That's right. It's a pleasure. So in regards to your backstory, for anyone who doesn't know, who wouldn't have heard your presentation in Nashville, which was awesome. Um, where were you when you were younger? And I know you were having some issues. Mm, yeah, so kind of going way, way back to my beginning. Um, I actually grew up in a super dysfunctional home. So fitness for me, and I, I think I can attest for anybody who's been long-term into fitness, we don't do this right for, for the body. The body is essentially a byproduct, but really it's about the mental benefits that we get. We get the escape from it all. So I grew up in a home where um, I was neglected quite a bit as a kid. So fitness was this massive, massive escape for me very, very early on. It was a way to take this trapped energy, get it out of my body. Um, I got super into it and became so in love with what it actually did for me physically, mentally. Um, and it was my therapy. And when I decided to go off to college, I wanted to become a registered dietitian got super into bodybuilding, competed three years at the national level as a, as a bikini competitor about when I was going to go pro. And I was known as Rachel Shear, a six pack abs, the cover of all of these different magazines. I actually started to battle a lot of gut issues and it really didn't make sense at the time to me. It does now looking back, hindsight is always 2020. Um, but I was living life definitely on the extreme side with fitness. Um, I was probably sub 10% body fat. Most people would say, oh my goodness, this girl is the epitome of health. But internally, there was so many things that were, were off. Um, I was chronically bloated at the end of every single day. Um, my thyroid plummeted. I had no menstrual cycle anymore. And I couldn't eat anything without being in massive, massive pain. And for me, as fitness had been for such a long time, a crucial part of my life, and even making a career out of, out of it, becoming a registered dietitian, I felt so betrayed by my body. And I went into a massive, massive depression at that time in my life, uh, really becoming more of the victim of why is this happening to me? I'm a, I'm a fitness model. I'm a nutritionist. My whole life now up until this point had been dedicated to what I thought was health. But to be completely transparent, Charlie, it was, you know, more the physical parts of health. And I was taking an internal pain and I was really trying to mask it through a bit of the fitness side of everything. So what started off as honestly something very, very healthy as an avenue to release a lot of the stress then grew into being just another thing that was adding to massive, massive stress to my body. But to make a long story short, um, as most of us do, when we end up with health issues, I went the traditional Western medicine route. 
I went to a bunch of different physicians. I went to gastroenterologists. I did all the scans, the MRIs, the CT, and I was slapped with a bunch of labels. I was given, hey, you have IBS, you have irritable bowel syndrome. And if if your listeners don't know what irritable bowel syndrome is or IBS, um, I call it a trash can diagnosis because it's really not a diagnosis at all. It's, it's just an accumulation of symptoms. Um, trash can diagnosis can be things like IBS, depression, anxiety. We're telling the person what they're experiencing based off of symptom clusters, but we're really not identifying the why. So I was just handed over from a bunch of different physicians, um, given medications, you know, antidepressant because I was so depressed and it made sense that I was. I was given birth control for my hormones. Well, the lack of menstrual cycle that I was having put on thyroid medication and I just continued to get worse and worse and worse. And I even remember one night lying on the kitchen floor, just like crying, like afraid to eat um, because I had come from competing as a bodybuilder. I was uh, very malnourished too at the time, but so I knew I had to eat in order to get, you know, any type of nutrition in my body. But I was eventually sent to a colorectal surgeon who then told me they wanted to remove my entire large intestine because the motility in my gut had completely halted. And your motility is basically the transit of food throughout the gastrointestinal tract. And when your nervous system is completely fried, when you're in a constant state of fight or flight, um, when your gut is really off, or even when you've been over dieting, over training, your whole metabolic system really slows down, right? But Western medicine looked at it like, hey, this is something we can fix through surgery. We'll just cut out your entire large intestine and this will fix the problem. So for me, that was rock bottom. Um, and rock bottom can be a beautiful thing if we take it as a catalyst for change. So that's what really led me to the route of what I'm in now today, which is functional medicine. It's more of a root cause based approach, looking at why do we have this problem in the first place? What can we do to restore function, but taking more of a holistic approach to it goes so far beyond just, you know, this symptom and what can we do to get rid of this symptom as fast as possible. But healing is really a multiple, a multitude of different things. It is the mind, it is chronic stress, trauma that gets trapped in the body that we got to get out of the body. Um, it is our diet. It is our toxic relationships just to go hand in hand with the toxic foods that we eat. Um, it is the medications that we take. So once I was really able to dive into all of these different stressors in my life. That's when I was really actually able to heal. And I can kind of go on, you know, all day long on what that looked like, but really it was taking a root cause based approach and empowering myself to take control of my own health, no longer being the victim and looking for a physician who's going to fix all of these different issues for me. Because at the end of the day, it was, it was a lifestyle-based issues. My hormones were off because of that. My gut was off because of that. My thyroid was off because of that. And I became obsessed in the process of learning everything about gut health. Um, and through my own healing, 
mentally dietary and supplementation, I was able to actually avoid having my entire large intestine removed. And to this day, I have zero gut issues. I won't say I never have a bad day. We all do every now and then. But now I'm so passionate about helping other people do the exact same, take a root cause, take more of a holistic approach to their health, because it goes so far beyond just the physical. And trust me, I want to have a six pack abs still. I want to look good naked. I think as we all do. Um, But health is so much more than just that. Out of interest. So when you realized, obviously, the, the challenges you were going what was the first thing you did in terms of trying to address that yourself? Did you go down the route of like a low fat FODMAP diet, like eliminating foods, eliminating processed stuff? Did you first think I'm going to tackle stress or do you do any type of tests first? Yeah. I mean, honestly, at first I didn't even look at the stress component at all. I just was like, what can I do? What can I pull out of my diet? And I ended up eliminating a bunch of different things. I think early on a little bit to the extreme and I think elimination diets can be great. So I did do a low FODMAP diet. So I pulled out fermentable carbohydrates that were feeding bacteria in my gut. Um, my diet coming from the bodybuilding world also was full of artificial sugars, artificial sweeteners, um, a bunch of dairy. So like diet foods, right? That although they may be macro friendly, they may help you lose weight. Uh, they're terrible for your gut overall. So um, I pulled out a lot of those processed foods, started focusing on a lot of anti-inflammatory foods. So these are high quality animal protein, which I was always getting enough protein, um, but I didn't focus as much in, in terms of food quality. So grass fed and finished wild caught fish, um, organic pasture raised type animal proteins. And I think we very much uh, demonize animal protein um, even now today. And it's not the protein, it's really the source of where we're getting it from. Um, I also then added in a lot more healing fats into my diet. And when I was into bodybuilding, you know, it was don't eat the fats, just do a ton of carbohydrates um, because that's what kind of fills out your muscle bellies and you're fueling your workouts in that way. And nothing wrong again with that as well, but it was the types that I was getting in my body. So I really started to focus on whole food-based sources, a lot of healthy healing fats. Um, So these are things like avocados, um, a lot of fatty cuts of fish that are high in omega-3 fatty acids. And then um, in terms of the carbohydrates, I had to pull back, yes, on a lot of those fermentable carbohydrates, Um, onions, garlic, broccoli, cruciferous vegetables, which aren't bad. They're not bad for you. But when you have a compromised gut microbiota, they're food sources for the bacteria in your gut. So I had to pull them out for a short period of time. Um, But I will say this, the diet helped only to an extent. It wasn't until I really started to address the stress and the mind that everything really started to click for me. I think that's one of the big um, hidden levers people don't understand is the correlation between uh, like the gut brain axis and how that works. And like, if you're super mentally stressed, like and I see it with a lot of people with clients that when people get very stressed, like going through a door, divorce or bereavement or something like that, that people either go one of two ways. They either can't eat or they want to eat the entire world. Is that something you, you come across with the people you work with? Mm-hmm. where like their stress. Yeah. And it either makes them want to eat loads or they can't. Oh, eat. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it's insane. I mean, our gut and our brain are interconnected through what is called the vagus nerve, right? And we tend to say like stress, high cortisol, this is going to cause massive weight gain. But what came first, right? The chicken or the egg. Um, That chronic stress does really lead us to want to turn towards foods that are going to be more comforting. Um, Also that cortisol, when it's high, it does impact our blood sugar quite a bit because it is a glucocorticoid. So as our cortisol goes up, our blood sugar tends to go down. This can also lead to a lot more cravings for sugar, carbohydrates quite a bit. But I also think the big part of it is as humans, we use food to numb. Food is the number one drug that we use. It is the number one vice that we use. So for most of us, when we were younger and how we coped, uh, when we were dealing with stress, we would turn towards food. So when we're in that chronically stressed state, not only is our blood sugar dropping, making us crave carbohydrates um, a little bit more, but we're also turning towards food as a type of comfort. And over time too, When our cortisol is chronically elevated, our digestive system actually shuts down because when we're in that constant fight or flight state, um, our body's not thinking about digestion at all. It's thinking about, I need to take this glucose and I need to put it towards my extremities. I need to be, as I'm sure everyone has used this analogy before, but I'm running from a tiger, right? Um, Our body is preparing to fight. It's not thinking about digestion. So now we're turning towards food. um, And usually for most people, we're not turning towards good food. We're turning towards that hyper palatable food, that food that just tastes so good, salty, sweet, savory, all of those different types of foods that are not so great for our gut microbiota. So they feed bad bacteria in our gut. So now we have a gut where our digestive system has kind of been halted due to this stress and this fight or flight state. And we're feeding bad bacteria. And this is actually how our gut microbiome can become off or what we call dysbiotic, where we get an overgrowth of bad bacteria, we get inflammation in the gut, literally because of that chronic stress, that cortisol, um, shutting down our gastrointestinal tract, halting that motility, and also then the food choices we're making, feeding bad bacteria in our gut. And this is when we get into this vicious cycle because as we feed more of this, you know, bad bacteria in our gut, it causes you to crave more sugar, crave more carbohydrates, negatively affect your mental health even as well too. So now our gut is influencing our mental health, leading to anxiety, depression, and then our chronic stress is also negatively affecting our gut health. So that's where it's it's not just addressing one, right? It's not just, hey, we need to only change the diet we have to also work on the stress side and the mental health side of it too. And our relationship with food, that's very, very important. It's interesting. I think the the relationship with food fundamentally comes from parenting and a school education system that's failing 90% of people. Um, have you seen any studies that have interest on the gut and like depression link? Because I think there's a huge correlation between that, which no one ever really talks about. Yes, massively. There is a huge correlation between um, gut dysbiosis and depression. And I think when we're looking at 
what negatively in the gut can lead to things like anxiety, depression. We have to also look at what does a healthy gut microbiome even look like? And a healthy gut microbiome is going to have more diversity. So diversity you can think of as the multitude of different types of bacteria that live in our gut. And there's two different types of phyla that make up most of our gut microbiome. And I'm about to go a little bit sciencey here, um, but they're called firmicutes and bacteria DDs. These are type of phyla that make up about 90% of our gut microbiota. And what they've shown as when this ratio gets off, meaning we have a degree of dysbiosis. This actually leads to an increase of inflammation in our gastrointestinal tract, but it also, especially for those who are focused on weight loss too, they've shown that it can even cause um, more insulin resistance because we're not the only ones eating the food. Our bacteria are eating all of the foods that we're eating as well too. So when our gut microbiome now is inflamed due to the type of bacteria that we have, maybe we have low diversity happening there, or because of this chronic stress, um, it has broken down that gut lining, leading to something called leaky gut or intestinal permeability. They've actually shown in studies, because of the connection between the gut and the brain, this actually leads to a breach in the blood-brain barrier. So we literally start to get what is called a leaky brain when we have a leaky gut. So now you can imagine we have a gut that is inflamed. We have bacteria that is off. And because of our gut and our brain are highly interconnected, we now start to get these different types of bacteria um, or even micronutrients, pathogens to cross into that blood-brain barrier. So when you have an inflamed gut, you literally also are having an inflamed brain. Inflamed brain. I don't know why I can't say that this wording. So you have neuroinflammation in the brain. And if you really think about depression at its core, it is literally just inflammation in the brain. And this can be coming from so many different things, but this is one of the big reasons as to why our diet influences our mental health. Um, there's different types of micronutrients that actually can cross through the blood-brain barrier, omega-3s and omega-6s. Those are actually one of the only types of uh, fats that can go directly into our brain. So they've even shown that people who have deficiencies in omega-3s, EPA, DHA, they actually get shrinkage of their hippo hippocampus. And these are anti-inflammatory fats as well too. And most of the population eats so much omega-6s. These are pro-inflammatory fats. So these come from industrial seed oils, vegetable oils. They're typically in a lot of those processed type foods. So now we have our diet causing more uh, bacteria imbalances in our gut, inflammation in our gut, but these fats are also crossing through that blood brain barrier leading to more of that neuroinflammation and decreasing those good fats in our brain, those omega-3s and those omega-6s. And this is actually how these um, micronutrients can even lead to things like um, Alzheimer's, dementia, because if our brain is not getting the essential nutrients it needs, like I said, it leads to shrinkage of things like our hippocampus, which plays a massive role in 
memory. So it is so important to look at the connection between the gut and the brain and really working on our gut health. We are working on our mental health too. hundred percent. And I presume, um, fixing leaky gut is going to be the same process that probably you went through earlier in terms of just fixing gut probably with an elimination process of removing essentially all the crap and like going back to like the basics and then like allowing it time to heal and slowly reintroducing things back in yeah simplicity looking at this removing the stressors what are the root causes and there's always three different types of stressors that i look at with my practice so there is dietary stressors this could be hey you just have a shitty diet of full of processed foods sugars that we need to get rid of because that's causing the breakdown of the gut lining for some people they may be food intolerances they had no idea they had a dairy intolerance a gluten intolerance and that's actually what's causing a breakdown in the gut lining so there can be dietary stress there can be emotional stress. So we already talked a little bit about cortisol and how that can affect the body, but cortisol, right? It's catabolic. It breaks things down. So bodybuilders, right? We want to minimize that catabolic process. So we try to get in enough protein every single day. Um, But when we're in this really catabolic state, uh, when we have chronic stress, it's not only going to break down muscle tissue, but it also breaks down that gut lining. So that's where managing stress, you know, working on trauma that's trapped in the body. And then the third area can be more environmental. So some people can get a foodborne illness. Some people can have a virus. Um, A lot of people who develop bacteria overgrowth in their gut, they have had some kind of like a foodborne illness that they picked up on toxins too can sometimes play a role. I've seen people come back with toxic heavy metals, um, mold. So these are all just different types of stressors. And we need to identify, which is going to be unique for each person, what is really causing the gut to become off and break down. Um, The easiest place to start for most people is diet, of course, removing the foods that are gonna be inflammatory to the gut, cause a breakdown, working a little bit on the stress side of everything. But once we remove the stressors, our body has an innate ability to wanna be at homeostasis. It wants to heal. And when we can remove those stressors and just allow the body to have the nutrients it needs to heal, it's gonna do its job. The gut lining can actually regenerate itself in as little as three weeks if we remove the stressors, right? So if you're continuing to have chronic stress in your life, if you're continuing to eat um, foods that are negatively affecting your gut lining, it's gonna have a hard time to regenerate itself. But if you can remove those stressors and add in some good things to help rebuild that gut lining, some things I use quite a bit are L-glutamine. A lot of bodybuilders use that or people in the fitness community because it helps speed up recovery post-workout. We also need that L-glutamine to help regenerate that gut lining because when we're in that stress state, guess what happens? We are pulling glutamine not only out of the muscle tissue, but we're pulling it out of that gut lining. So L-glutamine is really great for helping support that gut lining. Aloe vera, licorice root, those are some different types of uh, nutrients I try to use. But the body wants to heal. It really, really does. It's our job to figure out what those stressors are and try to remove them as much as possible. 100%. One very interesting question I have for you. What was the biggest surprise you found in the process of fixing your own gut? 
definitely the emotional side. Yeah. I think I more of an effect than you thought. Yeah. The whole person must heal for the gut to function optimally. And it all goes back to that entire stress response. When we experience trauma or we're in chronic stress, our nervous system is completely fried. We can't heal and our digestion can't get into a rest and digest place when we're constantly taxed, when we're constantly stressed. And for some people, logically, they're like, I'm not that stressed out. I don't know what's going on. But trauma is also very much stored in the body. And that's kind of where we have to get it out of the body in various modalities. Uh, For me, it was when I really dove into breath work, meditation, and really getting that trapped energy out of my body that everything started to click in combination with the diet, elimination diets, um, extensive testing to identify maybe some root causes that I was missing. Um, Western medicine did no justice for me with the testing, right? So they just did all of the, the basic blood work, the CT scan, the MRIs. They never once looked at my gut bacteria, my gut lining. Um, they didn't once look at my lifestyle and how that could be affecting all of these different modalities. Um, but it was the combination of everything. But I worked the entire first year on elimination diets, um, doing protocols to help eradicate the bacteria that had overgrown in my gut. But it wasn't until I address, addressed my stress, I addressed my toxic thoughts, I addressed the trauma and the energy that was trapped in my body that everything really started to click for me. And I think that's the big point for most people to hear. And it's not just that area alone. It is the combination of all of those different areas where healing can really take place. And another interesting question. I, I recently had a well, last week, a food intolerance test and the things I knew flagged up would be an issue like dairy and like beans and things like that. <laughs> Two things that were surprising were rice and egg whites, which makes me think about what you, obviously you were living a very heavy, like bodybuilding life before. Do you think that nutritional approach of eating the same things a lot maybe led you down that rabbit hole if that makes sense yeah i think food sensitivities can be created by three different ways one is we're just eating the exact same foods every single day so over time our body can create a little bit more of an immune response but typically that really only happens if we have a degree of some of that leaky gut, or maybe we're low in some various digestive enzymes. So what we're really seeing happening when we have a food sensitivity is our body is producing antibodies. And these are completely different from a food allergy. A food allergy is what's called an IgE response. A food sensitivity is typically an IgG response. So this is not going to be an anaphylaxic type response, but it is still an immune and an inflammatory response. But you can imagine if your gut lining, let's say, is a little bit permeable that we see with leaky gut, the foods you eat most often are now kind of leaking a little bit into the bloodstream. And that's where it's triggering more of this immune and inflammatory response. So typically if we have a little bit of some intestinal permeability, and honestly, most people do, they just have no idea that they have it. Um, That can actually create some of those food sensitivities um, or if we're low in digestive enzymes, if we don't have adequate 
um, amylase, protease, and lipase. These are different enzymes that are produced from our pancreas to break down the foods that we eat. Um, we're then going to create more of this immune response because the foods aren't going to be fully digested. So very often the root cause when it comes to food sensitivities isn't the food itself. It's more so what's happening with the gut, with the gut lining, the digestive enzymes. And once we can address the gut health, a lot of these food sensitivities actually tend to fall off. Makes a lot of sense. Now, I'm sure everyone listening to this right now, we obviously listened to your story where you are, how you fix yourself. What does your diet look like now? Yeah, um, I, I used to track calories and macros and all of that when I was competing. Right now, my diet is a lot more intuitive. So I still follow somewhat of a structure in terms of the times when I eat every single day, um, what foods I'm trying to get more of, but I don't really track how much calories am I getting? Am I hitting my protein goals? One of the great things though about being in the fitness industry and having done some tracking for a good period of time, you relatively know what's in everything that you're eating. So I am a believer that if you're new into your weight loss journey, or just trying to optimize your physique, you should track for a certain period of time because you just learn so much from that. But right now it's really about listening to my body and what it needs. Um, it's very much whole food based. So unprocessed, unrefined. Um, I eat a lot of animal protein. So I'm always with every single meal trying to make sure I'm getting in enough protein. I don't weigh it out. I don't try to track it, but typically I'm eating as much protein that I need with each meal until I feel full and satisfied. And we need to get protein far more than just for our skeletal muscle mass. We need it for our gut health because that gut lining, it is also a muscle tissue. Um, we also need it for the production of neurotransmitters in the brain. So protein is essential far beyond just what we tend to think of it with muscle and physique and locomotion. Um, it's crucial for every system in the entire body. So one is always protein first, protein forward diet. Um, I then follow a anti-inflammatory diet. So I'm getting in a lot of healthy fats. So my diet has really shifted from more carbohydrate focused to more fat focused. So I eat probably, you know, one to two avocados in all honesty, every single day. I love avocados. I love guacamole, um, full of olives. So more of those monounsaturated fats, olives, olive oils, fatty cuts of fish like salmon are in my diet quite a bit. And then when it comes to carbohydrates, um, I tend to be more on the paleo side, which paleo really just means um, no grains, beans, legumes, processed foods. So I eat a lot of sweet potatoes. Um, I eat a lot of beets. So these bright colored fruits and vegetables, they have a compound um, called a polyphenol. So polyphenols are so great for your gut microbiome um, beyond probiotics and prebiotics. Most of us think about when we want to say, hey, I want to improve my gut health. Polyphenols have actually been shown to help increase diversity, decrease inflammation, help rebalance out the type of bacteria that we have in our gut microbiome. So sweet potatoes, those bright colors, if we can get in things like beets, those are incredible source of polyphenols too. And then um, I eat a lot of leafy greens too. So my diet is full of um, arugula, 
arugula is actually a bitter, so it helps increase stomach acid. So it's a pretty simple diet. I could honestly probably count everything I eat on, you know, two hands. Um, maybe a little bit more kind of give or take, but it works for my body. It's, it's getting adequate protein with each meal, a lot of healthy fats, mono and polyunsaturated fats, um, getting some starches in there too, but mainly, you know, root based starches and then getting a good amount of leafy greens. And I eat till I feel full and I just listen to what my body is telling me it needs every single day. And I've been able to maintain my physique in the process and it, it, it hasn't been work because the problem isn't typically, you know, when we're eating real whole food, overeating that it's, it's all of the hyper palatable food that tends us to, I can't stop eating this. I can't stop eating this. I always give the analogy of a steak, right? You like steak yeah. and everyone likes steak. Yeah. Other than vegans. Everyone if you're a vegan, steak. you probably don't like yeah. Vegans don't like me very much, no, um, but, uh, you'll eat a steak and you will stop when you feel full. You'll be like, I'm good. I enjoyed this. This was an awesome steak. But when it comes to those hyper palatable foods, foods that taste so good, you can't stop the chips, the pasta, all of those great. different types of foods, you will override those hunger cues every single day. So if most people were to just eat protein, good quality protein until they feel full, where you're getting that protein, that fats, add in some fiber, a little bit of starches in there too. Great. Um, lots of leafy greens. They're going to feel full and weight loss is going to be so easy for them. Interesting. You sort of jumped uh, to what I was going to ask next was in regards to, do you see, you mentioned the importance of protein, which in my opinion is like the master macronutrient, I like to call it. Do you see more gut issues with people who are vegan and vegetarians? Most definitely I do. And part of the reason is, is because they A, are missing on the proper type of protein that their body does need. Um, there is a big difference between plant-based protein and animal-based protein, and especially what it does for supporting our skeletal muscle mass. Um, they may have similar amino acid profiles, but the amounts are going to be completely different, especially those branched-chain amino acids, um, particularly leucine. Leucine is going to be much lower in more plant-based protein sources. Um, and this is so important for supporting skeletal muscle mass, supporting that gut lining as well too. So one is looking at the quality of the protein, but two, vegans are typically going to have a higher carbohydrate-based diet. I tend to think of it like Somebody who goes gluten-free just because you're avoiding gluten doesn't mean it's a healthy diet. So there are some vegans who are definitely, you know, I am a raw-based vegan, all fruits, all vegetables coming from my diet. Um, but, but I will say to raw-based can also be really, really difficult for our gut to break down. Um, a lot of these cruciferous vegetables kind of think like Brussels sprouts. If you were to eat that raw, that would be a lot for your gut to have to break down over time. So even if we're a raw-based vegan, um, that's really, really difficult for our guts and our microbiome to process. We really weren't meant to process that much fiber um, coming from our food sources. But I will say most vegans though, it, that's not typically the case. It's more 
processed type food options, foods that are feeding some of that bad bacteria in our gut, and it is going to be higher on the carbohydrate side. So beans, beans are a very fermentable carbohydrate. Um, so they're feeding bacteria in our gut microbiome. Maybe there's more soy based. Um, a lot of those meat based food substitute options too. I call those Franken foods. Um, they're not really real protein. They're, they're processed. If you look at the back of the ingredients, it's a long list. You know, you'd be so much better just eating the actual animal protein and paying more attention to quality instead of this, you know, man-made protein alternative that is just full of all of these artificial additives, these gums, these binders to try to mimic these different types of protein options. So I do see a big correlation between vegans um, and gut issues because of the overabundance of some of these processed foods missing out on a lot of that high quality animal protein as well too. And um, I always say we want to eat for our biology instead of our ideology. And I completely understand some people may follow more of a plant-based diet for religious or ethical reasons, but if their goal is really overall health and that is their number one most important thing, then we may want to look at some alternative options. So basically you're telling vegan people go and eat your steak. Sorry, you got out there. Telling vegan people to go and eat a steak. That's fine. I, I'm, I'm in agreement with you with that completely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So just to sort of wrap things up, one last thing I'm going to gonna do presumptive question on. Three things you shouldn't eat to finish up for anyone listening to this. I'm going to presume gluten, dairy, and processed food and sweeteners. You want to try and limit? Yes, I would say the main things to avoid, things that negatively affect our gut health. Um, any kind of processed foods. So if it comes in a bag or a box or a long list of ingredients, and I'm not saying all the time, right? This is most of the time. It's not what we do every now and then. It's what we do every single day that's going to have the biggest role in our overall gut health. So avoiding a lot of those processed foods as much as possible. Um, gluten, um, for most people, gluten does cause a breakdown in the gut lining, whether you are celiac or you're not. Um, there's something called um, non-celiac gluten sensitivity, so staying away from gluten. Um, soy is typically a good one to steer away from. And then I would say beans and legumes and dairy. So those are kind of the big food groups that I try to um, get a lot of my clients to steer away from, especially if they're wanting to work on healing their gut microbiome. Awesome. Thank you so much. There was a plethora of knowledge and tips. And I took a load of notes from that. It was really, really helpful. For anyone to find out more about you, uh, Rachel, what's best to get connect to Instagram, Facebook? I know you've got your own podcast as well. People can listen to. Yeah, I have my podcast. It is sheer madness. I go all down different rabbit holes on functional medicine, mental health, gut health, hormones, adrenals. So you could definitely check that out. And then you can follow me on Instagram. That is at Rachel Shear. Awesome. So everyone who absolutely loved this, which I know you all will have done because it was thoroughly riveting, um, please make sure you leave us a five-star review on the podcast app and subscribe and share this to your Instagram stories. If you tag me, I'll share it. Tag Rachel Shapiro as well. And if you need help your own fitness journey, there's a link below the podcast. You can book in free fitness strategy call and we can transform your life over the summer. And we'll see you in the next episode very soon.